Welcome to the Portland Real Estate Podcast, Oregon and Southwest Washington's number one show for real estate news and information. Without further ado, here are your hosts and a couple of guys who as busy realtors and successful brokerage owners know a thing or two about real estate. Steve Nassar of Premier Property Group and Joe Fistolo of Soldera Properties. Welcome back, everybody, to the Portland Real Estate Podcast. This is episode number 146. Wow. And this is a best of masters episode, and we have lots of great stuff to cover. Admittedly, Steve and I kind of took August and September off to enjoy our families and play some golf and go fishing and still sell a ton of real estate. But we wanted to take two months to do things that people do who don't have a podcast. So we have lots of material to talk about. And what's special about today is we have a guest co-host. And what we're doing is we're going to unpack the hottest topics, the most burning questions, the threads with the most impressions and emojis and comments. And so we're ready to go. Again, welcome after the break. I'm Joe Fostolo with Soldera Properties. And introducing our guest co-host is our co-host and my buddy, Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. Steve? Thanks. Glad to be back, Joe. Glad to be back. You know, it's interesting. I actually did do all those things you just rattled off. You said we spent time with family. Obviously, I did that. Obviously, I went golfing. But I don't normally go fishing. And I did go fishing in the Columbia, right? Not too far from the mouth of the Willamette. And we got a, my buddy got a big salmon. It was really fun. He, he It's not something I do on a regular basis, but I had a good time that time. So, you you included me in that when you yes. when you were I, I'm assuming you also went fishing. Um, I did all those things. And, uh, and you, my little trick, whenever you go on a vacation, if you go on a three day something, whatever it is, you just say real estate before it. I'm going to a real estate fly fishing <laughs> seminar. I'm going to a real estate golfing weekend. Oh, I love it. Right. And then it's kind of like, oh, he's doing something for real estate. And then, well, or, or I just call it meetings. Yeah, he's in meetings. back to he's in back-to-back meetings. Yeah. yeah, which which yeah, and that usually is a meeting with people on a golf course is oftentimes what that means. Oh, that's but, awesome. So hey, we have an awesome guest here, everyone. I want to. I am excited to introduce Tammy Wittrin with NFM Lending. She has somewhere, I, I saw this on her website. It, it surprised me because I didn't know they allowed people to start in the lending industry in grade school, but mm-hmm. she's got 30 years in the business. She has a stellar reputation in the industry. She's been around obviously a long time. I've done transactions with her over the years. You ever oh. done, you've ever had a transaction with Tammy, Joe, that you remember? We, I think I so. You have. And yeah, we I just don't... had one. Yeah, yeah. A couple months ago. You know, when you guys are doing as many as you, you know. Obviously, I didn't do the follow-up I should have if, you know, I'm not top of the list. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I've done a few over the years and you've always done an awesome job. And you're just, and I've seen you at some various functions over the years. And so we wanted to get some perspective from a lender in the current environment we're in. And let's be clear, it's a challenging environment. We've 
done some podcasts building up to this day for the past six, seven months. And I can, I can confidently say that, you know, it's getting more challenging, you know, by the week and day and month, because I just saw today on the news, as I was getting ready to leave home and come here on CNBC, I saw that rates are the highest they've been in 20 years. Their mortgage news daily has said they're 722, I think is what I heard. So, so we want to hear a little bit about what you're, you know, Tammy, you mentioned prior to being on the air that you hold an economic summit. You were recently interviewed a, a keynote speaker in, for some conference in Florida that you did yeah. via Zoom. So clearly you've got a lot of insight into what's happening and you can share that with our listeners and, and those watching us live stream right now. So let's take it from the top. Welcome, Tammy. Awesome. Great intro. Thanks, guys. I'm honored to be here. Really appreciate the invite. I know you get asked all the time, not necessarily daily rates, but more on a macro 50,000 feet, like, where are we going? Should I sell my house now? I mean, we've had 10 years of appreciation. If you sell now, it's kind of like you've gotten nine and a half years of appreciation since 2012. And are we at the tip of the roller coaster? Is it going to be a five, 10-year cycle or... Are rates just temporarily high and are we going to settle in the fives and sixes in six months? Oh my God, there's like five, you know, like four things on one hand and four on the other of ways I can answer this question. Do you mind, can we just start with, with the big question is, what are the experts saying about mortgage rates in our market? And maybe talk a little bit about recession. Are you guys okay if we start? Sure, yeah, yeah. I just want to remind everyone that nobody was correct on this from all of the experts. And so if you are a gambling person, shoot the die. We all have about the same ability to to predict the future. But here are the fundamentals at play. The pandemic happened in 2020. I just looked the numbers up this morning. Almost 6.7 million people have died due to COVID, okay? It shut the world down. It was the first time in the creation of any information that the entire world ceased and closed borders and stopped. And when you think of that, that required immense intervention from all markets. We are a global world, whether we like to think of it or not. And what we do here in America affects about 50% of what's actually happening. We are so globally connected that right now, the the bond market or the gilts that are being traded in in Europe, in the United Kingdom, are actually pulling our markets down across the globe. We are interconnected. For us to not take into consideration there is a war with Russia and Ukraine, that 30% of all food and energy come from that region, and it supplies fundamentally 80% of the food and energy to Europe. Those people are suffering. And then as you go across the pond and you look at China, China has its own problems of which we're not totally in tune with because they're a communist country and they protect the information that's hitting the internet. China right now has an, an unprecedented collapse in real estate that they've not seen before. They did a similar thing that we did back 
in 2008, where they allowed builders unrestrained ability to get lending. And when you do that, corruption happens and the monies are not used for building. And they've seen that. There are blank cities in China that don't have any particip- any homeowners in. I've seen those. I saw yeah. a news broadcast, maybe it's, 60 Minutes. Is they showed the city with high rises that nobody lived in. It's you guys, it's creepy. fascinating. Ever yeah. one day, they're now, it looks like, going to take to court. They're selling their yachts and everything. But there are all these things bubbling globally that I think we've never paid attention to because we haven't had to before. But the tr- the reckoning is here. The pandemic hit and everyone globally was affected by it. And everyone stoked the fire. And when you have so much of an influx of cash or subsidy or government intervention and too few goods exacerbated by supply chain, exacerbated by tremendous amount. Just look in the US, you guys. We put in $150 billion worth of subsidy, cash into the monetary system to small business, corporations to keep afloat. Not to mention all of the cash that went out to all of the US citizens, et cetera. I'm just saying you cannot have that humongous influx of dollars to chase so few goods. And that's really the fundamental definition of inflation, right? Mm-hmm. So then that exacerbated itself to create the cycle that we're in right now. And the funny thing is the Federal Reserve's requirement is to stay, watch and help to stabilize unemployment and to watch and help stabilize inflation, right? Both of which inflation is way too high, unemployment is too low. And when unemployment gets too low, you get wage inflation. And the front desk receptionist makes 30 hours or $30 an hour. And that starts. And what happens is we have this job shortage in the restaurant industry. And all of a sudden, the food prices are going up because they're paying $17 an hour for a food server. And it exacerbates. But where we are right now is there's still such an employee shortage that I feel it. I go to my boss. I say I need a raise. He says, well, I can give you a raise because I can increase prices. And it exacerbates it, right? That's where we are in inflation right now. What did the federal government just say about Social Security? They're increasing Social Security, right? Mm -hmm. And it exacerbates the problem. Then you add Ukraine and Russia right here that are exacerbating it. I don't think this is a quick fix. I think it's going to loom on for a bit, but the fundamentals of the economy say at some point we should see rates drop. When? I don't know. You know, I Mm -hmm. love, I love asking questions and sometimes I just tell people, it's like, Hey, just pretend I'm stupid, which you don't have to pretend that much. Just, Just say, Hey, pretend like I don't know anything about anything. I'm in the third grade. What does all of that mean? I mean, Everything you said was actually factual and spot on, but what does that mean for all of it. the next year? And I know that everyone has a crystal ball and nobody's crystal ball is perfect, but what does that make 2023 look like as far as our economy, as far as rates, as far as what all of that, if you shoot it through the funnel, what are the results of that and what are we anticipating? 
So experts are thinking maybe by end of next year, rates are somewhere around 6%, right? Because they feel like all of the intervention, they're expecting that we see a 75 basis point increase to the short-term funds rate. Those are not the same. That's That does not increase long-term rates, mortgage rates, but it increases the prime rate, the rate at which banks uh, lend to student loans, credit card debt, all of all of you know car loans, short-term debt. Long-term is an effect of the bond market and who's trading, who's buying mortgage-backed securities, et cetera. All of that is bubbling. So with that said, we're going to see some slight softening of price. We have to, right? Because we have fewer buyers in the market. But I would also remind everyone, buyers were in the market because we had a global pandemic and rates were 3%. That is not normal, and rates never would have been there. Therefore, those buyers that were buying were able to buy. It's not that rates have gone up and people don't qualify. That was an anomaly, and a population was able to buy that never has purchased before because of just economics. So we're uh, chemists are working on COVID twenty, yeah, uh, and it should <laughs> exactly. Be <really> <laughs> Q2 of two, 2023, because, you know, we want those rates to be back at three. But it wasn't, uh, it was good, but it wasn't good, right? No, we don't. No, it was not good. Yeah. Actually, a leveling out has Is been a little that... more relaxed. For and and I, I, would, I would say one thing that I've thought of along the way, in the defense of government, the world was going to be in a dire situation if everybody had to stay home and nobody had money. Right. Nobody could work. So they they pumped that money out. Now, I'm not saying that maybe there wasn't some missteps in the process, but they pumped that money out to keep people living, quite simply, at a time when people couldn't be around people. We've got the hangover from that now, but at least we can all go out and work and do something about it. Right. Versus then. So I have no criticism whatsoever. Who knew we would have the Russia-Ukraine war? Who mm. knew col collapsing of China? Who knew all of this was, I? they learned from 2008, they were slow to respond. Do you guys realize quantitative easing from the 2008 financial great recession we had? We just cut quantitative easing in 2017. Quantitative easing is when the, the government is buying mortgage-backed securities and treasuries off the market and pulls them off to keep rates artificially low. Mm -hmm. We now are, are putting, so just compare and contrast right now. Prior in 2008, that recession lasting all those years it did slow to happen, we allowed it to run out about five years. During that time period, the max originations that were held was about 4.5 trillion, okay? 4.5. Prices were not where they are, and the volume in real estate was more around the 600 number. If you were to look, if you were to Google a graph, you guys, and do single family home sales and pull it for the last 10 years, and you see how during the pandemic, we escalated into the 900s. But normally, we have been for the last 10 or 15 years in a very wide band. 
of normal. So it was not normal. But now with the pandemic, after that's happened, we have almost 10 trillion worth of mortgage-backed securities that we're holding. And those have to get bled off and pushed back into the market. And they're doing it right now. And they're pushing about 60, 60 billion million. I could add the million or billion off. Anyway, the gist- It would be billion if it's trillions, yeah. Yeah, billions. And the gist is, you not only have the US doing this, but you have every other country that did quantitative easing. Quantitative easing isn't increasing and decreasing the federal funds rate, it's buying those mortgage-backed securities. And that's what held rates so artificially low. They stopped doing that in 17. Mm -hmm. Remember, rates increased in 18. Do you guys remember that? And the mm-hmm. housing market started slowing. Yeah, it got into the fives. I think pushed the mid fives, which we yeah. thought the sky was falling at the time. Everything slowed down quite a bit, but in hindsight, it wasn't it wasn't that high. What the Fed is trying to do is they're trying to crush demand. I mean, that's plain and simple. And, and it's kind of a first in our lifetimes because it always has felt to to me in, in in our lifetime that the Fed's been our friend and helping the market. You know, helping us try to do do better. Right when we're in recessions. But this is kind of the first time where they're, I don't want to say they're our enemy, but they are they are trying to slow down the market and they're doing a pretty darn good job of it. And how they're doing that is by raising raising the Fed funds rate, they are crushing demand, which is inflation. One thing, one thing to touch on that inflation is the arch enemy of mortgage rates, right? You can't loan money out for 30 years at 5% if inflation's at 8%, right? It, Thank it, you the, for the math. That economic, was good. <laughs> yeah, the economics don't work there. So as, as as inflation is raging out of control, mortgage rates go up and the Fed is, you know, raising the Fed funds rate, trying to crush demand. I heard an interesting video last week where, you know, it was talking about, you, you, you mentioned how the Fed funds rate controls things like car loan interest rates, right? Whenever somebody goes into a car dealership and say they they buy a $60,000 car, instantly they're getting credit, right? They don't they just sign something and instantly they get they get the money. That's creating money, new money in the system. That goes to the car dealership, they get their car. By raising those rates, they're they're trying to keep that money out of the system, crushing demand, having less money, new money in the system so that we can that was, back a good the that was really good. In our world, it, it is absolutely crushing demand. I, I just, again, I was watching business news this morning and I, I got some stats in your world, Tammy. They said that refis year over year are down 86%, which is almost in the entire bucket, right? I mean, 100% would be we've gone to zero. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a lot. Divorces, I'm actually, you know, I think we only. have a refi this month of someone who has to refinance because of the divorce. They're and that's usually that's what's left. Yeah. People maybe who had a bankruptcy two, three years ago and, so and now yeah. they can finally get refi or somebody that's getting a divorce or some extenuating circumstance. They have to get equity out of their house. And and it wouldn't be a fun circumstance, by the way, if, if you're letting go of a, a good mortgage rate and getting a high one. But but those types of emergency situations. But get this. So that's that's refinance activity. 
Mortgage applications year over year are down like 38%. Yeah, today I just That's that. a monumental figure in of itself. I mean, that's almost half of what there was last year. And that's on the purchase side of things. So the demand has dropped dramatically out there. It is definitely, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd welcome your opinions on this, Tammy. It's definitely hitting the mortgage industry first and hardest from what I'm seeing. Now, I'm definitely seeing it spill into our world, me and Joe's world. I mean, you know, we're a little bit insulated in the sense that we have cash buyers. Um, we have listings and buy side. So, I mean, there's just a little bit more that we have. Whereas you guys, you have buy side and refinances. Well, the refinances are gone. gone. Buy. So, so we only, you only have the buy side. And then the and buyers down, are like, and that's it. down so low, but it's definitely, it's definitely moving quickly through our world. And, you know, I'm starting to now hear and see of a lot of layoffs in the mortgage world. Yeah. And it's sad. It's incredibly sad. Obviously, it's not loan officers. They they're needed. They're well, the they're, they're the well, sales they're, force. They're it's the support busy. staff. It's the support staff. It's the processors. It's the underwriters. It's the assistants. And it's sad because there's not other jobs out there. I mean, when they get laid off, they're not going down the, the road to another mortgage company. Those that company's letting people go too. So they it's be a, a tough cook. time for the they mortgage. They could be a world. cook or a waiter like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, this this is layoff season. And it's what what's interesting is everybody is shocked that they get laid off in October or November and then rehired in April. And if you look at or may. And if you look at, you know, lenders, title, whatever it may be, that company is saving on you lay off 20 people, there's 20 salaries that you don't have to pay for six months. I mean, that is huge. And that is happening more so maybe because there's not enough work to keep everybody busy, but it is something that happens year over year. And Tammy, by chance, did you see? Mark Holzman's video about rates and speculation about, so you have your mortgage lender and then you have your mortgage investor and it's hard to get money from those people because they think the buyers today are going to refi quickly mm -hmm. and it's going to be a lost leader for them. Yep. Is, yeah. is that, do you so, see that happening? You know, I am insulated by it, but it's definitely happening. I mean, they're expecting the pool to, roll out. That's why rates have bumped a little bit too from the lender side. Like they're trying to peel back some of the the rate differential that will happen in refis. I will tell you I have experienced let me start by saying I had more people than I ever had in my career for the last 3 years. Does that make sense? It was yeah. the biggest boom I've ever experienced in my life. Absolutely. Um, you and a and, lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So staffed up and hopefully, and by the grace of God, I've saved some money. And I knew that that was fake. There was never a moment that refinances for me and my business are always a gift. Those are just a gift for doing a good job. Right. I don't count on them. They're not a part of our business. Purchase business is something that's the bread and butter. Now, my metric has definitely shrunk. I Part of my legacy in this business isn't my volume, but it has been the team that's chosen to work with me. And I just laid someone off that I've had for 
going on 16 years, 15 plus years. And to have to, you know, it felt like I failed her, like I couldn't keep it going. But, you know, that wage inflation thing is real. The longer you have someone, the more that you had to keep them employed during that they're in their salaries just got wacky. And that mm-hmm. happened across the industry. Mm-hmm. I have a friend at Wells Fargo. He has been there 21 years and he ran their refi West Coast division and he just lost his job. This is real life stuff, you guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, we knew refis were temporary. There will be a slight refi boom from this period, but it's not going to be enough to ever go back to the way we were. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm it's looking at- slowly trickling into our world too, Tammy. I yeah. mean, I'm personally tight- tightening my belt. Now there's no layoffs or anything or anything close to that, but there's definitely P&Ls that are being looked at and and line items that are being questions asked for the first time in several years. Like, you know, what do, what does this do? Can it be smaller? <laughs> You know, can it be eliminated? And that's happening across our world too. And and I think I think it's gonna continue until you will start to see layoffs in in the real estate side of things. If you I mean they may be happening already. You had made a point to say that maybe loan officers that wasn't gonna happen. Just a little fun fact. We are required to pay our loan officers minimum wage. Yeah. We're required. So minimum wage plus FICA plus all of the other stuff we play. Plus, adding to a 401k, a loan officer costs a company about 3300 bucks a month. So how many months can a company keep people who aren't producing on? Mm-hmm. We're going to see point. a bigger layoff. And you're going to see it all the banks, credit unions, and mortgage companies. There's going to be yeah. a lot of carnage forward. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Okay, I got yeah. one one quick question before we jump into our second topic. The first topic, we have a great contributor, Mark Alto, who always has mind-bending things. He's given us sort of the the real state of real estate and loans and <clears throat> what to expect. And he had a post that we kind of just covered with, hey, what's going on here? But before we transition to the next topic, are they going to incorporate 40-year loans? Do you ever see that happening? Are they doing it now? There are a couple out there. I think they will hold to see how this moves forward. Fannie and Freddie, right now, I don't, I've been told there isn't anything percolating as of yet. FHA might be different. You know, FHA's mandate is to get first-time homebuyers into the marketplace. And, you know, it goes, the non-QM stuff is certainly out there rolling into the 40-year stuff. Affordability, I think we have a perception that it's not affordable. I would, we'll see. It's, yeah. it's a perception. But the other thing people fail to realize is we also have had some tremendous costs of living. Our assets are appreciating. It's not just that the housing prices are getting out of whack. Wages have also increased tremendously over the last few years. Yeah. You know, to sort of round this one out, Steve and I kind of talk about real estate. It's sort of like fight club, right? You never talk (laughs) about a settling market, right? The first rule is you never talk about the settling market. And, you know, you kind of see this, it's like a barge, right? When a barge 
turns to the starboard side, mm -hmm. it, it might go for a half a mile before you even feel it turning. But yeah, right. we know it's happening. And some people are just like, nope, market's great. Great time to sell and buy simultaneously. It's awesome. Right. It's awesome. Well, now we're starting to get people to say, yes, it's settling. You know that I love jokes and memes and stuff. You ever see the meme of the, the girl, she's screaming at the white cat? The cat, the cat yeah. And, yeah. and she's, she's like yelling and she's like, I'm not paying 7% interest on a mortgage. And the cat says, you know, well, rent is 100%, right? And you have the people saying, hey, you marry the house, but you date the rent. Just buy the damn thing and then refi in six months, right? It's a little bit of, there's some the acknowledgement yeah. happening here. And I did watch the interview with Mike Frattentoni or something like that, mm -hmm. the Mortgage Economist Bankers. with MBA, Mortgage Bankers Association, interviewed by one of NFM's own, Greg Schur, and their prediction, they were kind of all over the place because nobody really wants to say a <laughs> prediction because in six months from now, we can go back and listen to it and say, you were wrong. Exactly. But, but their prediction thereabouts was six to nine months, we'd be in the five or six range. And then, you know, the politician talk came after that, like, but with these circumstances happen, it can go lower. <laughs> and if these circumstances, it can't. Yeah. But that was basically something to think yeah. about. And arguably, they're thinking like the mortgage investor who's thinking, I don't want to make this loan if they're going to refi and I'm going to lose all that money. So a little harmony mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Just in. You know, I do have to say Maslow's hierarchy of needs, second highest need next to food, right? We have to have shelter. And we have been accustomed. We've been on the dole for 14.9 years of some sort of government intervention on rates. But the truth is this, people will continue to get married, form relationships, and they want something that over time, much like the stock market, is a proven appreciator. I don't know of another investment that allows you the leverage that real estate does. 400,000, you could get in for as little all in as 25,000 and then acquire that whole asset to rise with appreciation. Overall, historically, for the last 100 years, if you were to look at a chart, the mortgage industry, appreciation, and the stock market, they're very parallel. There are small drops over time, but historically, home will appreciate. Those are all benefits to home ownership, but the truth is this. In America, the reason we have the social security system the way we do, and it's created with a 3% increase, is that if you make one 360th of your mortgage payment every month, and you have that house paid off by the time you retire, your social security should be enough to pay your property taxes and your homeowner's insurance, and you can retire in America. And I think we as professionals, pull out all of the, oh my God, we're not going to make as much appreciation. In the last four years, just close in Northeast, there are some markets that appreciated 34% in four years. When the average house price was 800 and you take that times 34% year over year, you guys, it's a ton. Even if the market slides backwards 15, 25, 30%, 
Most of us still have equity. Loans today require tremendous, beautiful credit, income, and total cash to close. People aren't walking away from that. I still think home is one of the most solid investments of anything you can do financially. It's a cornerstone of your financial future. And I'm a strong proponent of home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, I'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about Fight Club, Joe. I mean, yeah. the reality is, the reality is, I, it's funny. I've seen a couple people on, on social media that are agents in the business talking about how great the market is. And it's just fake, right? I mean, they're they're talking about, you can tell it's just phony baloney. The reality is, RMLS data doesn't lie. I mean, pending sales are down around 30%, right? Year over year. So, 2.4%. So, so if you had the same amount of clients working with you as last year, your income has dropped 30%. You're, you're going to make 70%. That's the bad news. The good news is you can gain market share and overcome that. That's one opportunity. And that will naturally happen. I mean, Tammy, you said it. Like, There's going to be loan officers in your world that, oh that are let go because they weren't doing anything for a while. And suddenly there'll be, there'll be some market share opening up. I do think... You said this, Tammy, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to agree with you here. I, I really do genuinely think the market is going to recede close to pre-pandemic levels. I think we had gone up eight years in a row from 2012 to 2020 in a pretty organic fashion of supply and demand, appreciation. When 2019 rolled around, it was kind of slowing down and we were getting a it little was. bit flattish, right? Yes. The only reason we went up 30, 40% during the pandemic was because of money thrown into the system, artificially reduced interest rates, and a one-time frenzy of activity because people weren't suddenly in the right house that they wanted to be in because of the pandemic. So why those fundamentals aren't there anymore. And and, and it's not not crazy to think that we're going to give back the lion's share of those gains, if not all of them, in the coming year or two. I don't now, know that we're going to give those back. But remember, too, in 19, prior to the pandemic happening, rates were on their trending up. We were getting off the dole again. And we were rates were at five and a quarter, I think, when we hit the great you know, recession thing. Remember that, you guys? The pandemic thing. Yeah, the pandemic. So I but but I want to give I, I want to be careful here because because I don't it's a fallacy to assume that that means you should wait to buy. Right. There are buying opportunities out there right now. I have listings right now that are sitting on the market with motivated sellers who've moved out of the area. And are accepting offers at 2018 pricing. Okay. One thing we learned during the Great Recession of 08-09 is the best deals in the market aren't going to happen when there's a light visible at the end of the tunnel. The best deals are going to happen when there's no light visible at the end of the tunnel and the seller's like, holy smokes, just I'll take your darn offer. Let's do this deal. They're motivated. They felt the pain. And the buyer, the buyer gets that awesome deal on the house. I'm seeing flashes of that already. 
I don't think this is a scary thing per se that, oh my gosh, everybody should sit back and wait for prices to fall. They are in some many instances already having fallen and opportunities to realize that. At some point in the future, when mortgage rates seem to be on the right track back down, it's going to be too late to get the best deals out there. The buyers who rush in and go, okay, mortgage rates are getting better. Let me rush out and find that that great deal. That's when the sellers are going to realize things are moving back in my direction and other buyers are rushing into the market to compete with them. So I think there are tremendous opportunities to buy now. I think there's also bad opportunities. I think there are sellers that aren't motivated. And that's where a savvy agent can help you identify those properties, those situations. I mean, a vacant property is always a good one. One that's been on the market for a while. You know, those distressed type situations. I don't mean distressed like they're upside down, but they need to sell. It ain't selling. And they're willing to do a deal. Don't you think too, you guys... Remember when a house would come on and you would do your due diligence with the listing and you would create it probably at market price, right? And the next thing you know, because there's nothing else on in that market, it it goes a hundred over. Now, was that really the market price or was that just a supply and demand issue? And I think I would always say, you know, like if an appraisal came in lower, I'm like, is it really low if you bid it up 150000 and it came in above sales price? Is that really low? Market value is market value. And it's it's impossible. So we get all of our information from history, yes. right? You look at what's sold. Anytime there is a market trend, which changes that curve steeply or on a decreasing level, we don't have the history and the data to support it. But you know, anytime a market corrects, it's a really difficult time. I, I hear these brokers that say, gosh, it's not selling and I'm going to pay and have it staged and I'm going to get new photography. And they're taking it on themselves and they don't know that, look, it's not you. You use the comps of a different market to appraise this house today. And yeah. some of the, you know, it's it's tricky to see, but if you've been around long enough and you scrutinize it and look at trends, you can figure it out. And they say never miss an opportunity to give a compliment. I do have some kudos for the brilliant minds in masters in real estate because we called a few things. You know, Charles Turner is really good about putting the absorption rate of what it is. And every month he'll post the absorption rate and our inventory was 0.6 in December. Mm-hmm. And people are like, you know what? It's going to be two and a half by October, you know, maybe even as high as three in November. I mean, there's people actually calling this out. And I mean, I sold my house preemptively thinking, you know, there's something that happens before the economy changes. And that's the faith in the economy that changes. And, yeah, and so. Statement. It's it's not the economy, it's the panic. The perception of the economy. It's the perception. And so, Steve, I was talking to Tucker the other day, and, and I said, well, I didn't call it perfectly because we still had another nine months of appreciation. And he's like, hey, man, you got out. Better you're to be s- early than late. He's yeah, like, you're right? safe. You're safe. You know, yeah. no yeah. blood. Well, yeah. and, you know, it's all, you know, what I would I would also love to throw in there is that in this market, 
we talk about winning and losing maybe, you know, like I won because I got a hundred thousand over on my house or, you know, I've had it on the market and I've had to come backwards. Appraisers right now, what we're seeing is comparables have to be in like the last month. That's how quickly the market changed for them. So winning and losing isn't the truth. It's what is the most recent comparable? If you're looking back further than a month, you don't have accurate market info. Exactly right. We're seeing, we, we just got word on my team today of a termination on a property, Wilsonville property, about 650, I think, six low 600s. They didn't give us a reason why. We think it's because they saw something else that's cheaper. I mean, that's that's the reality. Yeah. That, those are some of the challenges of this market is motivated people behind them coming on the market, probably with a lower price. That pe- you know, it's terminations. We, we were in a market for, for several years where nobody or very few terminated because there was, there, there was somebody right behind them ready to swoop it up if they yeah. did. There's not that pressure behind people right now. There's yeah. not that pressure. You know, homes are sitting. So even if they terminate and think about it and come back, I mean, the pr- house will probably so, still be there. In my so. pipeline, the last three months, we've run about 35% termination. If it comes under contract, there's a 35% chance it's not going to go to fruition. Not to, mm-hmm. no. So mm-hmm. every so I, I've been saying this for a while. Every market has an asshole. <laughs> and we're just coming off of the sellers. I don't have to sell if I don't get 150 grand over asking and and just have them wave their appraisal gap, you know, cover the all appraisal gap, me, wave me, the me. inspection, wave all that stuff. Well, I think the buyers are are going to maybe start being the assholes in, in the future. And if you remember the 2008, 2012, there's a house that someone paid 1.1 million for, and they have it on the market for 660,000. And the buyers are like, off of them for 75, you know, it's just like, <laughs> and the sellers are going to start writing love letters, Joe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To the the buyers, sellers, yeah. They'll, yeah. they'll start writing a letter yeah. and sending it to their agent. Please tell those people who showed my house yesterday, please give this to them. Tell them how much we liked them. And when we saw them in our ring camera, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how great you look in our uh, house. It's funny you say that because we already, do, we already do that. My sellers do. We call it a fact and a feel list. And the fact is for all the engineers and the CPAs and spreadsheet people like roof replace in 2017, furnace replace in 2019, new water heater. Those are the facts. And then the feels is, oh, the deer come up and eat our rose petals every July and the hummingbirds come and, you know, pick the sweet stuff out of the mimosa tree and like all the romantic stuff. And you, mm-hmm. you put those two together and it's like, you know, having dinner at a Chinese restaurant at the end, everybody gets a cookie. The engineer <laughs> gets to hear about all the systems and when they were done and what the brand was. And the romantic gets to know that you can hear the trains whistle across the river, but we kind of do that love letter already. It's kind of like, why do you love this house? Tell us the things that you know that a buyer or just a showing broker or me even specifically, I don't know. I mean, I've never spent the night here. I don't know that yeah. you hear a loon in the distance. So yeah. write this stuff, but yeah. And I wonder what the legality of the sellers writing a love letter would be. Oh, probably... it's, I, it was a joke. I don't think yeah, I've heard. I know, I know. Hey, let's jump to some other topics, Joe. What, okay. do, you, what do you got in the, let's, let's so, bang uh, a few of these out. 
Nichelle Bradshaw said, I just received a letter from the city of Portland slash Multnomah County stating that I owed taxes on all my sales transactions that occurred in the city of Portland and Multnomah County. It's a business tax. What? Exclamation point. I'm not a PB, just a sole proprietor. Look out, they're doing a lot of audits. So if you haven't been paying the business tax, you might get the same letter. This had this post reach was uh, 4,500 people, got lots of emojis, 108 comments. And to to sum it up, it just kind of turned into a rant about Portland and Multnomah County. That's been out there for a while, though. I mean, there's been a lot of new Multnomah County, Portland stupidity taxes. I just filed mine here in the last week. Well, so I'll, I'll th- tell you the worst one is I cut a check for $6,900. This isn't Portland, by the way. This is the metro area. I paid $6,900 for the homeless tax. Okay. Oh, preschool tax. Homeless. And I had preschool it, tax, art I, tax. I would, I would get double that if the problem it was worked. solved. <laughs> if the problem was solved. Yeah. But I literally handed over $6,900. It bought them problem that is horrific. Yeah, but the homeless and, people and has no end in sight. So that's like walking into a Starbucks and handing them five bucks and then walking out without a coffee. I mean, like, but this tax has been around for a while. This tax has been around for a while. You you just gotta pay it. You gotta add up the deals you're doing in Portland and and isn't and it on it. your net and it's two percent? It's roughly like like in my industry, it's about a hundred bucks a deal. Well, so in Washington has a one and a half percent, the B&O tax, but Multnomah has a tax. So is it clear that anybody, employee or self-employed? Anyone doing business. Anyone doing business. Yeah, they. my CPA does it for me, but I know I have to pay something on the transactions that I close in Multnomah mm-hmm. County. Yeah. So that what would be was the, the general consensus of the thread, Joe. It's bullshit, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But they acknowledged, yeah, you have to pay it. Okay. I think let's we covered go. that one. Uh, yeah, let's go on to the next one. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Kristen Rader. This is kind of twofold. She said, I'm sure this doesn't apply to anyone in the group. So please help teach manners and ethics to the new agents in your offices. In the last 48 hours, my seller was excited to get four showings scheduled. She cleaned and made arrangements to be gone for two days. The first showing, cancellation one hour before. Second showing, the agent left the front door unlocked. Third showing, the agent canceled 30 minutes before. Fourth showing was a straight up no-show with no notification or apology. When I texted the agent to find out what happened, he simply said, didn't make it there. We can do better than this as an industry, please which I agree. So it's twofold. It's it's something about professionalism and courtesies widespread across our profession. And the other part is a little bit about safety, right? We have this huge responsibility. We can get into almost any house with our phone and it's our obligation to follow the rules. That is a huge access point. I mean, it's a huge something that has been granted to us that we don't want to screw up and keep the keys back in the real estate offices again, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's terrible. Can I read a post by Eric Newman that I want to 
I, I really agree with. I've done yeah. this. I've done this a bunch myself and it's very good for our listeners to hear. He says, I remember when I was the buyer looking for a home, there was a couple, there were a couple homes that we knew wouldn't work once we drove into the neighborhood, but agent said the seller made arrangements for us to see it. So we need to be courteous and at least take a quick peek. Doesn't have to be long. Made sense. And we did. Agent did the right thing for all parties. And I agree with that. I actually agree with that. We've had that happen. I've had that happen many times when I'm out showing homes where you pull up in front of the house and they're like, nope. And I try to encourage them to go in for a quick peek. At the very least, honestly, I've done this a couple times, even though this the ring camera will get you if there is one. I've just run in, grab, put my business card down and, and run out. But even that isn't probably enough because if they have some camera system, they're going to see that you guys didn't all go in. So it's probably best just go in, do a quick loop and show appreciation for the effort that went into getting the house ready. Don't you guys think this is new? There are a lot of agents that have been in the industry such a short period of time. And you guys, when you couldn't even get in line to see a house and you had to overbid and everything, and now we have this abundance of listings, I just think we're all confused on what is the right protocol. I just think we're like, we mm -hmm. need to school everybody on what's accepted. There are new people that do not know. Very That's true. really funny. Very so true. just this morning, I was searching the group and there's like post after post after post about what they don't teach you is the etiquette and common courtesies amongst realtors. And if you get multiple offers, right, you accept one and then you have to reject the others. You do not make that house pending until you've notified everybody that they got it or didn't get it. And then you got to wait an hour or two to make, give them the opportunity to contact yeah. their buyers. So they don't see Redfin says, Hey, it went pending. Did we win? Did we win? <laughs> and then they call their broker and the broker's like, I don't doesn't know. even know. It just makes mm -hmm. them look terrible. So mm -hmm. there's lots of etiquette. And so we got as far as putting a class together and it was, Kelly Woodwick with Fidelity. She's Kelly Forbes now on social media. So she, Kelly Forbes and Ernest Cooper of Cooper Realty. And I probably had some involvement too. We were going to teach how you do these things, showing time, what you do. I personally leave a card at every single house, whether it's vacant or not. And it, I just do it. And it's, save some people's bacon sometimes. Anyway, it is kind of a new thing. I think the 2012ers that came in because we're going back up and realtors are rich and all they do is you stick your sign in the ground, you get multiple offers, you walk away with thousands and thousands of dollars and they're more, fo more focused on the deal than mastering their craft and the longevity of the profession because we're going to have a mass exodus and the people that used to be a hairstylist it, until I could make more money in real estate, they're going back to being a hairstylist or a bartender or a masseuse or, or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. I see it coming. Mm -hmm. It's already it's happening. Already actually. happening. Yeah. I already too. Yeah. Hey, yeah. let's talk about forms. The forms changed, Joe. Oh, yeah. You made a post there. Yeah. Um, the forms issue. And what I wrote was, okay. All Oregon brokers got this email. What does it mean? And it was from 
OREF, I think. And it said, forms, new member benefit coming soon, early 2023. What does this really mean? Well, to break it down, the non-compete on Oregon real estate forms has ended so that other entities, other companies can draft their own version of Oregon real estate forms that the brokers get to choose from. The only stipulation is whatever form you start out with in any one transaction, you have to be consistent with that entity and only using their forms. But what that means is we now have two or three or four sets of forms to realize. And what if one offer comes on the forms that the benefit means it's free to us, part of our dues? What if the free forms aren't as good as the forms over here? And what if you have multiple offer situation and you have three offers and they all come with a different entity of forms? I don't love the idea. I'd rather still have just one standard form and let's perfect it. Let's have the form makers and the realtors get together and say, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. And we're going to put it in these forms for you. And I'm not on the forms committee. I have I know people on the forms committee and I have given my recommendations like the horse that I that is dead that I have been beating for years <laughs> is let's get away from calendar and business days. Let's don't go calendar yeah. days. Let's don't go business days, whatever it is. Right. Everybody can agree. November 2nd at 5 p.m. Is November 2nd at 5 p.m. And we don't have to say, well, let's see, you had Labor Day in there and, and you know, and then a weekend and forget mm-hmm. it. Put a date, put a time. Mm-hmm. So the jury's out on if this is a good thing or not, um, because I'm nosy and like to be involved in everything. I've looked at them. The new earnest money agreement, residential sales agreement is way different and they try and pack the summary of everything kind of on the front page. <clears throat> I like you, that. I you like have that. enough signers for four entities. Four people. Yeah, four yeah. entities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, first of all, let's calm our listeners down. There's not going to be three forms. There's only going to be two. And I've known about this for a while that this was coming, but I was sworn to secrecy. I'm very close with some of the people that are, you know, high up in the Oregon Association of Realtors. So I I heard well over a year ago this was coming. Now, like a lot of people, I wasn't excited about it. The idea that, like you said, Joe, you'd have, I can relate to this very well because I'm licensed in Washington. So I already have two forms, one in Oregon, one in Washington. One's English, one's Chinese. They're completely different. Things mm-hmm. are in different places. Things are worded differently. Timelines are different. However, I one nice thing that was working in my favor before was if I had a listing in Washington and got multiple offers, they were all on that form. If I had a listing in Oregon and they got multiple offers, they were all on that form. If I was writing an offer in Washington, it was always on that form. If I was writing an offer in Oregon, it was always on this form. That is now changing in Oregon. You might have a listing that gets two different offers on two different forms. And so you're looking for different things in different places. Your seller's looking for things in different places. Another thing that occurred to me and occurred to me through the questions and answers that they gave us, the new forms through OAR, is, Joe, if you have a listing, 
you and I have to squabble about what form we're going to use, right? <laughs> like, like I, it's kind of like we pick escrow right now. Do I just automatically assume you want it on my the form I love, or do I have to reach out to you and see which form you love? OAR is saying that the new forms are going to save us money because they're included in our membership. But I think we're all still going to have to have OREF because, and I'll tell you why. Because if somebody gives me an offer on an OREF form, you just said it yourself, I have to counter on an OREF form. Therefore, I have to have access to an OREF. So I don't think anyone's going to save any money. There's definitely some logistical challenges. Now, I know I trust the people at OAR, and I know they're going to come up with a better form. I believe that. I just hope they can encourage everybody to use it or the vast majority to use it. I really hope. I really, really hope that a couple of years from now, it's not 50-50 and half the deals are on one and the other half are on some or... Or that we need both because, you know, some people are like, well, the listing agent should say which form they want, right? It really depends on... I don't know. I mean, we're going to find this market. out together. We're going to find out together. It depends on market it is, right? It's when we gonna, were competing... Definitely, yeah. Yeah, if, you, we were if you're listening... to get a buyer in there and it's yeah. like... I'm putting the seller's escrow pre preference, right? Or the, yeah. the listing brokers. I'm doing everything perfect. Yeah. But do you remember when once a year we'd have the forms change and we'd yes. sit through a class and it'd be like the all these things changed and we were trying to wrap our head about that? We're going to have two of those a year now? Yeah. There was a comment from somebody in that thread that you posted. I really respected it. He said, you know, I am a reviewing broker at a smallish firm. I've been in the business, you know, years and years. It's taken me decades to memorize the OREF form, to know what every sentence says, to know how the implication of every verbiage applies so that when an agent calls me and they have a question, I can give them great guidance. He is like having to master that on two forms with two sets of changes continuously moving forward it's just not ideal it's not ideal so there was reasons i i, I don't know the entire story what i do know is i'm, I'm fairly certain oar wanted to buy oref and be in control of the forms and provide it as for free and for political reasons or for you know power reasons it wasn't possible and so they said, fine, we'll do it without you. And, and this is the direction it's gone. So I think we owe it to our association to support them. I think it's okay to voice our concerns and they need to hear it. I mean, it's, it affects us. It affects our clients. It affects our liability. It affects, you know, if we don't know our form well, because we're, our attention is spread out over two forms, there's more chance of problems. There's more chance of risk in a transaction that we get ourselves or our clients into, you know, a, a bad situation. So, Hey, you know, it's going to uh, affect you, you guys, Tammy. I mean, you guys are going to get, you know, you guys yeah. get the forms you know, too. You, so this is coming your way. You guys, I do want to throw in here super fast because it, it's new and it's happening and we're back to addendums on repairs. And it's kind of like, Oh crap, here we go again. Please make sure everyone is schooled a little bit on addendums that you want your lender to see in your title company to see yeah. and addendums that you don't want them to see. Do your repairs over yonder and then come back. Remember that appraisers must know any seller credit or price change. 
And we don't want to see the work because for lenders, if we see the work and it has to do with the health and safety or the function of the services in the home, we're going to call it out. So if you just start all the addendums and you haven't been properly coached, because we have a lot of new agents and they just haven't. They no haven't had to deal with it. They haven't had to I'm deal with it. Everything so was bought I just as really is. think yeah. we need yeah. to talk to our companies because not everybody is going to do what we do on my team and review those and make some phone calls. They're just going to push them forward. And the next thing you know, it's not going to be what you wanted. Yeah, that's such a good reminder, Tammy. So so what the, the nuts and bolts of it is you can't point out a problem with a house and then agree not to solve it and then yes. send that lender that the, that repaired in them to the lender. In other yes. words, in other words, if Joe's got a listing and, and and I go, hey Joe, I need you to put a new roof on, and you go, no, I'm not putting a new roof on, but I'll give you five thousand bucks. Oh, let's send this over to Tammy. Now the Perfect. lender's like, this house has a bad roof. roof. I don't want this. I need the roof fixed. Yes, I want so- the five grand because I'm. It's my asset. So the proper way to do that is if I ask for a new roof, Joe calls me and goes, hey, you know what, Steve? They don't think the roof's completely shot. They'll give you five grand. Is that something you, you, your your buyer's willing to take? Then we when we agree that that's the case, that was never a fully executed addendum. All over there in the repairs. It, it, it was only signed by the buyers, never the seller. So it's no longer needed in the file. And we come up with a new new document that says, hey, but if it was five in your chronological concession. orders of A through whatever, and even if the buyer didn't or the seller never signed it, the lender is going to ask for it. So we just do your work under a whole nother yeah. heading of repair. Yeah. And then get with your reviewing brokers, in. get with your reviewing brokers on this. Please. There is a way to do it. We used to do it before the pandemic when nobody needed anything repaired. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the drawback, the drawback about doing, you know, putting more work upon your own shoulders is you're the one that gets to draft some of these things. And it's like, hey, this addendum, you know, we we hashed it out verbally. And it's like, you want to write it? Should I write it? What should we do? Most of the time I'm like, hey, look, I'll take this one. Not because I'm a great guy, but I want it written perfectly. Exactly. Thank right? you. You just got credited five grand towards closing costs and or whatever. I mean, there is a way to do it and it can because be done. Just- Went back and forth like seven times yeah. on a, an addendum. Just like, no, we can't say that. You you can't say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And lenders can't really unsee things, unfortunately. They're not, you know, they have to be really careful there. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, Joe. I hear you. <laughs> I hey, See, let me the, touch on, let me touch on a post I made in Masters a couple weeks ago. I had a situation I posted about where I had met with a client who was buying and selling, went well, did a listing interview. She told me about a very specific search she had for a house she was looking for. I went back, set up the search, nailed it, spent a lot of time and effort on it and started sending her homes. And then shortly thereafter, she nicely said, hey, you know what? I've gone in a different direction. I'm going with another agent. And so the age-old question came up, do I leave that search on or do I turn it off? And it was a great post. That was, was a great, great post. There was a lot of great comments. And and people identified the dilemma, right? Like on the one hand, you're like, well, gosh, I did that great work and you're not using me. Should I turn it off? But on the other hand, that work is done. Like you don't get that time back that you spent 
putting together that search. It's not like something. And, you know, there was a couple different rabbit holes that went down. It wasn't about stealing the client back. I've gone back and forth on it. Currently, I, I have a tendency to leave the search on. And it's the reason is if, if, they, if there's value in it and they're benefiting from it, who cares? Let them have it. Maybe, maybe there's goodwill out there in the universe. Maybe if something does happen with that agent, they'll come back. Sure. That's, that's nice if that does happen. But even if they don't, maybe they'll go, you know, that Steve Nassar, I didn't use him, but I had a great experience with him and gosh, he, he, he really did a good job. And I can tell he's a good agent. You know, that, that was kind of my mindset is to me, it feels punitive to turn it off because in this case, they're still looking at the search and make no mistake. I'm not an idiot. I know what they're doing. They're seeing a house they like, and they're calling their other agent going, hey, I like this one. And the other agent's benefiting from my search. I get that. But but that's 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 okay. You win some, you lose some. I, di- I just didn't see the the need to turn it off. Now, there was it was a really good comment. And there was there was, I would say it was split 50-50. Some were saying oh, I always turn it off, and others were saying, you know, similar is what I thought. But I did say in that post that I'd share my thoughts and my beliefs here in the, on this podcast. So I wanted to touch on that. You know, I wanted to address, this is a, like a, just a short one, but Mark Alto again, love that guy. <laughs> he said, it's, it's kind of a call out and it's like, you know, good morning masters. I'm sure I speak for all loan officers, escrow officers, home inspectors, electricians, builders, CPAs, financial planners, et cetera. When I say thank you to the awesome realtors that keep us all employed, we're going to all be heading into a very different market but we'll be doing it together. Thanks again for the hard work that you put into getting houses on the market, bringing in new buyers, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of pressure and you are the engine that keeps this all moving. We all know that what appears to be magic to the buyers and sellers and the rest of us is anything but. It's hard work. So thank you. And we're all gonna be doing everything we can to support and help you. And I love the kudos, but I also look at it a different way. When our market was just booming, we weren't held in the highest revere with some of the builders and we're forgotten. You know, when the market's great, we were forgotten by a lot of lenders and some of the builders were changing how they do things. And I'm not oh yeah, necessarily talking, you know, I'm, this isn't an antitrust thing. I'm not talking commissions. I'm just saying when the market was booming, our value was less. Diminished. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now that it's corrected a little bit, I think we're we're going to be well, the, the all-star again. Talk about the iBuyers too, Joe. I mean, it's not, it goes into that too. Um, believe it or not, they are struggling. Open doors oh my God. might be zero or it's very close to it. I mean, I'll be surprised if six months or a year from now, they still exist in their current form. And I said, back when Zillow was still buying houses, I said, I don't believe in that model. You know, it's fraught on all sides. When when the market's good, people don't want to sell to a, an entity like that because they want to put on the open market and get multiple offers, right? Well, when a market's bad, good luck buying a house today, open door. Go buy that house. You couldn't even make money when the market was going up. Good luck making it today, right? Yeah. Go 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 buy those homes and sit on them for six months and see how that works for you. And and but, rex but, rex folded their doors. Yep, and Zillow yep. stopped the iBuyer. Uh, yeah, 
Yep. Yeah. So, so it, it is a good point, Joe. I mean, there's a lot of ick going on in the market right now and it's challenging, but, but I think our, our stature as an industry, as professional lenders, as professional realtors is appreciated. I would even venture, I would even say right here that I'm getting listings. I'm getting more listings today than ever, probably. And now I'm not saying I'm going to sell more listings than ever today, but, <laughs> but I'm getting more listings than ever. And part of that is the change, right? People yeah. know they need a professional who knows what they're doing, has been doing this for a while, knows how to market, spends money on their listings, knows how to get it ready for the best presentation. Because yeah. a year ago, anybody could do it. Uh, you know, your cousin who just got their license could do it. Your poker buddy could do it. You know, whether he's been in the business a short amount of time and does a lot or doesn't has just got in the business, whatever the case, the pros are rising to the top. I, I do believe that as well. I just think there has to be a desire to serve, right? To do the work and to serve. And regardless of someone's tenure in the industry, if we're really like what you said, I'm going to keep the search on because you know, you have a servant's heart, throw them a bone. Maybe mm -hmm. because of you, they find a house. You guys, karma does work. Mm -hmm. It's out there. Just mm -hmm. doesn't work on your time frame. Mm -hmm. I think, Absolutely. you know, I've been so blessed to work in this industry. I honestly just, there isn't a day that I'm not grateful for the opportunity to help people with the single biggest purchase of their life. So I think if we're in for a little bit of an awakening, a little bit of shift, but it's going to be good. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I okay. guess we have to give everyone pumpkins this year for uh, <laughs> October and, and plant flags. And do we have to do all that stuff again? Yeah, Joe, jo, it might be a little late for pumpkins if you're going to do that. It's the 19th today. We yeah, should talk maybe, about a marketing calendar. <laughs> maybe. Well, you know, they say if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah, isn't that the truth? You guys are yeah. true professionals. It's awesome to see all the work you do for the industry. I think I say on behalf of, you know, everyone out there, thank you because, you know, you add context to what we all do and help us with all these problems that you don't really know where to go from the answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Joe has said very vocally in the past that he started masters during the dark days of, you know, the great oh, recession. Yeah. To provide community and to provide professionalism as an industry. So it's nice going into whatever we're going into and that we've been in for a little while now to have that, right? We did. Yeah. It's not something that needs to be created. It exists, right? Yep. Yeah. And I would just tell all those people that are newer to the industry, we will get through this. It's going to change. Nothing is ever permanent. But if you want to do this, now you got to do the work and you may not have a feast. There may be a little bit of famine. And this is why we are paid very well in our industry is because it is not a guarantee for anything. And I think when people believed that it was easy money and stuff, that's why we had the influx. Now we're going to get the people who really want to do the work and stay in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're always so, yeah. It's a very, very high paying, hard job. It's yeah. a very low paying, easy job. I would agree. And that's that's a good point. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, hey, Steve, are you busy? And I said, you know, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm as busy no, as I've ever been. been. Doesn't mean I'm making the most money I've ever made. But but I mean, that is the reality of a, of a market like this. We, we, we have lots of listings. We have 
to communicate with those sellers. We have to do marketing activities. We have to take calls. We have, we're doing the, it's just the velocity of them going into escrow and turning into a closing is what has slowed down, right? Everything else is still pretty busy. And I've heard that from my lender too, Tammy. She says, I'm on the phone constantly. Oh my God. And files are hard and getting things through is hard and pricing is hard. And they're calling me back 10 different times. And each time I'm giving a higher rate and payment and it's brutal and it's exhausting yet you know, they're making less money. So my comp is is way down to compete with these interest rates. You know, you guys talk about the iBuyer. We've also had disruptors with everybody's thinking, oh, mortgage is the way to make money and get in here. And, you know, we're going to comp and it's going to be a tough few months ahead. I'm, you know, just bear down. Watch for Zillow to close down their mortgage division, by the way. (laughs) That's coming. That's coming. Everybody went back to like, oh, we'll just bring it all in house. We'll, you know, it's all easy. Now, all those big more <laughs> mortgage companies are struggling, right? We agree with that, yeah. right? They're laying people off. So now Zillow's brought that little beast into their yeah. fortress. Well, and, you know, you Good. start thinking about it's 3300 bucks a month to keep somebody that isn't producing. How many months do you do that? And how many massive amounts of folks do you have? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah there's going to be a lot of carnage, but there needs to be, you guys. We are. You know, with inflation, you get, we had the highest amount of refis ever. We couldn't find enough people. I mean, there was a time I was 140 days out just to close a refi. Come on. That was all a gift. In our world, prices didn't even mean anything anymore. Like, <laughs> like you just put it on the market. It didn't matter what the price was. And you were going to get five offers and it was going to go 50 grand over. Over. Who thought that was sustainable? And a whole- Who thought that was going to end well? And hopefully the buyer understood that they waived everything and the home inspection. We have podcasts, Joe, and we have threads and masters where we go, this is not going to end well. Oh my God. This is a party and there's going to be a hangover. (laughs) And we're all drinking that Jamba Punch. Yeah. 2008 all over again. Not to that level. There's different. Not to that level, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Let's do our little closing round it out. I'll go first, then Tammy, Steve, you bring it home. My thoughts, super content on this. And like everybody wants to know what's going to happen. Not a day goes by. What's happening with these rates? What's happening with the value? What's happening? We covered that as best we all can. I do want to thank the Masters in Real Estate group. I said everybody has a a crystal ball and they're usually a little bit murky, but the Masters in Real Estate group's crystal ball seems to have a little bit more clarity than some of the other groups that I belong to. I mean, they really can can hone down of, of what's happening. And the thing about having a podcast is we immortalize what we said, right? You go back six months, you're gonna hear that we predicted what the absorption rate is going to be today. And we happen to be right. And the final thing to all the subscribers and listeners, thanks a bunch. We are here to promote education, knowledge, technology, market trends, professionalism, common courtesies. So whatever screen you're on and wherever that little subscribe and like button is, pound it a couple of times because you know, we're not as funny as Joe Rogan, but we can help you more than he can. I guarantee you. That's all I got. How about you, Tammy? 
All right. Thank you for that handoff. So I wanted to leave with a value add for all of you guys. I was on a coaching call with a guy that coaches a lot of lenders who have builders, et cetera. And we were talking about a 2-1 buy down and listings in general offering a seller credit. And the funny thing is, guys, from our perspective, talking to buyers that are out there looking, buyers don't really understand a seller credit. And many times realtors don't. So my just hope for all of us is that we take the time to understand what a 2-1 buy down is. And if you're going to talk to your seller about a credit, if you were to talk to the credit, the seller about offering that and the cost of that, let's say they're willing to give 12,000 bucks, the verbiage that will help sell that listing isn't that we're, you know, we have a seller credit. It's that the seller wants to participate in your mortgage payment for the next few years. Okay, write that down, guys. The seller awesome. wants yeah. to participate in your mortgage payment or something yeah. the seller's lowering that. That's my that's nice. great takeaway. Yeah. And uh, you guys embrace the suck. It's, I wish I knew when it was going to be over, but just get through it, save your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, I, I mean, you know, master your craft. And, and I'll be honest, I, the people who are just now, realizing they need to be good at what they do and and master their craft they're going to uh, they're in for a rougher ride than those who were professionals even when they didn't have to those who were doing great marketing and giving great service and you know staging homes when they didn't need to stage them or you know doing innovating their their offerings even though anything sold it's it's they're going to be playing catch up. They're going to be playing catch up and they're in a bad spot. But I mean, get started, I guess. And but everyone across the board, I tighten those belts, look at your P&Ls, look at your expenses. Everything you you don't want to be behind the you don't want to be the behind the eight ball with profitability. It's it's going to affect a lot of entities, big entities. Big big public publicly traded entities by the way that yeah. that have never been profitable and now they're trying to figure out how to be profitable in this environment get those pnls a lot of good things happen if you're fiscally responsible and your your numbers work right you you you're you're free to focus on positive things giving good service innovating improving um, versus, versus, versus struggling to think, worry about expenses. Right. And you never want to be one of the best feelings in this business is when you're doing a transaction and you don't need the transaction, right? You, it, you don't need it to close to pay bills yeah, because you can do what's right for the client. You can do what's right for the client and you'll always make the best decisions when that's the case. So make sure you're in a place where that's possible. Cool. I love okay. it. Thank you for tuning in. Great show. Awesome, you guys. guys. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Portland Real Estate Podcast, Oregon and Washington's number one show for cutting edge real estate discussions. 
Also, I'd like to give a shout out to the members of Masters in Real Estate, a private and exclusive Facebook group, and the number one source for all real estate topics. Thanks for being there, gang. I love you. Finally, I want to thank our faithful listeners. Without an audience, we're just two guys talking to each other. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so the new episodes automatically come to you. Make it great. <laughs>